Pai. This is Practice in Place, Law and Justice Go Viral, a podcast that asks the question, how does a profession governed by precedent respond to the unprecedented? Practice in Place investigates how the practice of law and the administration of justice have adapted under the abrupt constraints of the COVID-19 era, how that has affected how and whether we achieve justice, and how those changes in that experience might or should change the practice, the profession, and its procedures forever. I'm Susie Salman, Clinical Professor of Law and Director of the Legal Writing Program at the University of Arizona's James E. Rogers College of Law. I'll be your host. During the pandemic, even to the extent that courthouse doors remain open, whether literally or virtually, that opening is largely reserved for urgent criminal, family, or juvenile matters, or for restraining orders or protective orders. The pandemic has almost completely halted civil litigation, at least in the courts. In-person appearances canceled until further notice. Proceedings stayed or deadlines extended indefinitely. Statutes of limitation told. Limitations on person-to-person contact have even impacted routine procedures like service of process. So what is happening with complex civil litigation right now? So let's take a big, diverse, populous state like California just to set the stage. On March 4th, Governor Newsom declared a state of emergency. By mid-March, by the mechanism in place under California law, individual county courts began petitioning the Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court in her role as head of the Judicial Council, seeking emergency orders to allow them to extend deadlines and other time periods and to take other steps to respond to the crisis. On March 23rd, Chief Justice Tani Kantil Sakaue issued an order suspending all jury trials across the state. Then, on March 27th, Governor Newsom issued Executive Order N3820, which empowered the Chief Justice and the Judicial Council to take various other measures to balance access to justice with public safety, including allowing telephonic depositions of parties. Normally, parties can't be deposed remotely. They have to be deposed in person and allowing electronic service of process. Current Judicial Council orders in place across the state essentially told time periods and deadlines until at least June 10th of 2020, freezing litigation in place. Los Angeles County, California's most populous, has been hit particularly hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. The county has almost half of the state's COVID-19 cases and accounts for over half the state's deaths. Los Angeles County Superior Court, meanwhile, is the largest single unified trial court in the United States. It operates 47 courthouses, over 600 courtrooms with 480 plus judges. The court handles over two and a half million new cases a year, of which over 150,000 are civil lawsuits. In this episode, my colleague, Professor Diana Simon, 
interviews attorney Gerald Sawyer, who has practiced in the area of complex civil litigation in California, primarily Los Angeles, for over 35 years. A former equity partner in Greenberg, Glusker, Fields, Clayman, and Mochtinger, LLP, Sawyer is founding partner of Sawyer and Wagner, LLP, a litigation boutique. Sawyer practices general civil litigation, specializing in general business litigation, intellectual property, real estate, and employment. He generally represents sophisticated, high-profile clients in high-stakes civil litigation. Recently, he's also published pieces on how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed law practice in general and complex civil litigation in particular. Here's Gerald Sawyer. There have been many changes, uh, at least as we sit here today, uh, the courts uh, put the, I'll say the brakes on uh, anything except what would be uh, quote unquote emergency and high priority. As a civil litigator, the only thing that they will take a look at at this point would be an ex parte proceeding based on some dispute that you believe is, is an emergency. Um, other than that, um, the courts have sort of uh, ground to a halt for civil litigators. Now, they're trying to muddle through because uh, the areas that need more attention are criminal and family law, and those are the ones that have been given a higher priority. Okay, so how are you able to file motions, or how is that working? Okay, so... At, in the LA Superior Court system, and it, it's uh, uh, basically the following. Uh, the um, automated electronic filing system, um, once they decided to shut things down, you can no longer reserve a hearing date. So what that means is, is that you can um, file a motion but because you will not get a hearing date, there will be nothing to trigger an opposition or a reply. They also, uh, with respect to, uh, they've enacted emergency rules. Uh, those rules uh, have extended the uh, all statutes of limitation. Uh, those rules have uh, also, uh, we have whether within the rules or not, but I know uh, it's, They've declared all the dates since they shut down right around the middle of uh, March. Uh, all dates now are declared court holidays, so that will extend time. You can file complaints, um, but again, uh, now you have issues on service. You got to stay six feet away. Even where the bulk of proceedings had concluded pre-pandemic, civil litigators are still seeing delayed resolutions. First of all, are they rendering decisions? Uh, the answer is some, some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, if you had a matter before they shut down that was pending, you'll either get um, uh, a notice of that they're, they're continuing things or nothing, or you'll get a ruling. So in, in my particular instance, uh, in one particular uh, matter that uh, was cross petitions uh, that were uh, fairly lengthy on uh, confirming or vacating an arbitration award, 
Uh, we did have oral argument before the courts closed. We then were requested to submit five-page supplemental briefs. It was taken under submission. The uh, courts closed down, and about a month later, we did get the rule. The other side has filed, uh, there's a proposed judgment that has been uh, lodged, but we haven't seen it even come up. I have another case where I tried a limited new trial in um, at the end of the year. It's been pending since then. The judge, in order to give himself time to rule, uh, set up uh, after closing briefs, no oral argument, just a set of briefs. He had further questions or briefing. He set a further date for a hearing. And what he's done is there's been no ruling. Uh, after things got shut down, he pushed the hearing date way out into the summer. And uh, only when he deems it submitted, then he gets 90 days. So he has set it up so that if he wants to, he doesn't have to rule until sometime in the fall. We could get a ruling maybe a year after we uh, close the evidence on a, a very limited new trial. And uh, the ability to get rulings is impacted because the court reservation system uh, is locked. You can't get hearing dates. Uh, so that is sort of, uh, as I view it, slowed down the parts coming down the uh, uh, legal assembly line. So and why, seemed, why aren't they doing telephonic hearings? So some are. Uh, okay. What I but um, the answer is is if you're going to have a hearing and it's ex party, it's going to be by phone. There, uh, one of the claims uh, that I saw they have to address is what if you have someone that's in pro per and uh, for some reason can't afford the uh, fee that is charged by court call to call into the system. I see. So there's some issues on this. And as far as video conferencing, uh, this week LA Superior announced that they've set it up in a few courtrooms that really deal with the criminal and family law stuff. But we'll wait and see. Caseloads and exigencies in other parts of the system, namely criminal and family law, are also impacting the pace of civil litigation. Things are backing up in terms of continuances. They can't have any trials at this point. Oh, okay. Statutes, the right to speedy trial, all the things that you would have. So in, the, in an article this week, uh, the chief presiding judge said they are actually cross-training a lot of civil judges because they're going to have to take the overflow. And I've had that in my career where uh, there was a point in time where maybe they, they had that happen. And so all of a sudden you're ready for trial in, in the civil courtroom and you get bumped by a criminal matter because they have to get that to trial. So we're going to be confronting that and also family law. In many cases, depositions continue and emergency rule amendments facilitate and promote remote depositions by video. Although video depositions may be attractive from the standpoint of cost and time, and of course, from the perspective of uh, halting a pandemic, they also introduce some challenging complications, irrespective of which video conference platform the parties use. Well, that's the interesting thing. We have uh, contacted a number of court reporting services it turns out that a number of them decided to glom on to Zoom as their platform. There is a court reporting service that developed uh, its own 
um, platform that actually is a little bit more, what I would say, robust than uh, Zoom. The uh, Zoom platform, if you want to get a live feed of the deponent, you're going to have to set up a separate screen with a separate monitor that maybe they would drop off to you, but opposing counsel would have to have one also, and so you would be looking at two screens. Uh, the other platform, I don't know the name of it, but the, that the core reporting service is using uh, works much more closely to uh, deposition in that the live feed is on the same screen. Zoom, you can certainly use share screen for exhibits, but on the, what I'll call the more robust platform, uh, it sets up and will mark your exhibits as you upload them if you want to release with a tag that looks just like you're at a deposition. Hmm. Um, the local rules, what they provided for now that, and again, I don't have memorized, but the emergency rules now state core reporters don't have to be in the room with the deponent. And so basically what you're going to have as they walked us through it, uh, and what about videotaping? So on the Zoom platform, it's going to be similar to what we're doing now in that the screen would be uh, the witness. Let's say there's one attorney on one side, myself. There'll be a court reporter. Uh, their backup systems are they're going to uh, you call in, so they'll have the audio available to them uh, through the phone as well as through the internet in case something happens. Um, the concerns are, I was assured, uh, sometimes on the connections, it looks like a bad. Uh, movie where they're dubbing in a foreign language film and the mouths are moving and then the, the audio comes out oh. they claim, yes yeah. they claim they can fix that i don't know uh but the biggest concern is about unfortunately uh coaching because as i'm sitting here with you uh even if i say you know you show my hands do you know if i've got an ipad where someone is texting me yeah um, yeah those are the problems inherent and so uh, for us, what we the reason we've looked into everything at this point, and I have some depositions set up coming up in a few weeks. Uh, my clients in Europe, and mm -hmm. uh, the uh, client, the deponent that I want to take is in Canada. So we're going to do both uh, remotely. Um, but uh, uh, we'll see. I think that in most cases, people are going to get used to it. I think in a case where you're very concerned about coaching, that maybe there isn't a document and you're trying to uh, get the witness early to make an admission or something, and uh, you don't want you know someone's coached, it could impact, that's where we're gonna have some problems. On the other hand, online mediations have worked extremely well and likely will continue and even increase after pandemic restrictions end. Mediations have moved to the Zoom platform. Anyone that's done a mediation at one of the uh, uh, major places, it's almost uh, based in today's environment, not a good place to be. You've got a lot of different people coming in from a lot of different places. They're milling around, even if you're in your own conference room with your client, mediator comes in and out, the mediator pulls you out. So in moving to the Zoom platform, uh, they've been able to set it up uh, so that it mirrors exactly what you would have at a mediation in that you're, you're put in your own conference room with your client. The other side is put in a conference room with their client. 
the mediator has the ability then to set up other conference rooms if the mediator wishes to talk to uh, the attorneys alone, or they, the mediator wants to put the clients together alone. Or I've had instances, look, uh, you know, depending on who the client is, if the mediator wants to talk to the client because they're sophisticated alone or the client wishes to speak to the mediator alone for whatever reason, you can pair it up any way you want. So it mirrors that. The only thing you don't have is the personal interaction, um, but it's been successful. Uh, I have one coming up in June, but in talking to my partner in, in the 30 days since uh, the things got shut down, she's been booked, uh, she's booked five days a week. She's very successful. Uh, she had a bunch continued, but in 30 days, she had 10, which is uh, for her group. She's with the big group. Uh, that's a lot. Nine of the 10 settled. I have another classmate who's in D.C. Um, who had a mediation that he, uh, was going to be in New York, and that one also settled. And so what I, I believe is going to happen from this, because it's going to be more efficient, I believe, to uh, why go down and have to sit a full day uh, at uh, one of the places that holds the mediations when you can possibly be at your office, have your client there if you wish, even have separate screens, one in a, a conference room, one yeah. in your, yours, go back and forth with the client, be able to bill things. And the only thing you're missing is the free lunch, but you pay for it anyway, so who needs it? Uh, so I think we're moving there just like anything else. This is uh, just like everyone now goes through security in an airport. I think some people in the right case still, you know, the human touch is important, but uh, I believe Zoom is going to be here to stay in terms of mediations based on the success, based on now that more people are getting familiar with it as a forum and how easy it is to use. So I, I'm sure there's no stereotypical client, but have you, what are, what are the client's feelings about this situation? Are they frustrated with because the justice system isn't moving fast enough or that they can't get their matters handled and decided or they're worried about their own issues? I think right now we've been fortunate. We've kept all the clients apprised of uh, uh, we hold weekly meetings as a firm by Zoom just to make sure we have the connectivity and go over things. But I think we've done a good job so far with our clients and letting them know what's going on that we are moving the cases forward to the best of our ability. Mm -hmm. uh, so far, we haven't encountered uh, any hurdles yet where someone is pushing back on um, a deposition date um, or trying to slow things down. Um, it seems it's in everyone's best interest because already there are impediments in the system to uh, do the best you can to move the cases forward. Uh, we had a uh, we just lodged and I thought for sure the uh, complex uh, case management order with a lot of deadlines and things that have to happen and a trial date in March of next year. And I thought for sure as this went through many drafts with multiple counsel that uh, certain dates would be changed and they kept them in. So I thought that was a good sign. But yes, yeah, so the direct answer is. I think so far our clients are more focused on their what's going on with their businesses, their personal lives. They're aware of what's going on in the cases. Um, there are clients we've had, uh, you know, uh, that have been impacted that we're dealing with issues in the employment area, 
um, and in contract areas, depending on uh, if someone is paying or not paying, depending on what side of the fence you're on. Um, is there anything that so far that you've encountered that you cannot do remotely? Yes, uh, I'm a jury trial, a bench trial. Um, I do know for a fact uh, that uh, a colleague of mine this this week, I think it's Friday or tomorrow, has got a court of appeal argument. It's uh, on that one with the companies, a lot of money is at issue and it's just gonna be telephonic. And, uh, you know, he's quite upset about it. And again, the court of appeal, obviously the briefs matter, but being in the room, you never know uh, uh, in the room, how you present it um, can be impactful or how you handle the question in the room. Uh, so he's quite upset with the fact they did it. And, and that's an example, at least in California, uh, that uh, with a limited calendar, you know, why is it that the Court of Appeal couldn't jump on the Zoom uh, platform um, and um, have the ability so that at least the people would be looking at each other rather than just talking to a phone and not seeing who you're talking to. Although emergency rule changes and strategies to adapt law practice to the pandemic might have mixed impact, the crisis has accelerated some changes that may have come anyway and now are likely to become permanent, at least in part. Looking at it from the perspective of over 30 years of law practice, a time period that included an era of rapid, drastic changes in civil litigation with the rise of the computer, Sawyer sees another transformation on the horizon. Look, this is a difficult time. Uh, my view on it is uh, I want to stay optimistic. I see uh, what's happening. I understand 100% why we're doing what we're doing. Um, but I also understand that we're about to go through, at least for our generation, I'm a little older than you, but uh, <laughs> our generation, um, in terms of uh, um, a shift. A shift from when I started practicing and lawyers didn't type on the computers and there was no email and you dictated and you had Selectric uh, typewriters with limited memory. Uh, I think this shift is going to be uh, more toward uh, using the technology and I don't know all, all necessarily for the good in terms of uh, uh, less interpersonal interaction. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how the uh, courts are going to handle jury trials with the distancing, um, with the staff, uh, how, you know, until we get a vaccine. But even when we get a vaccine, I think that uh, things that are being done today, the virtual depositions, the less of uh, business travel, uh, Zoom mediations, I think those things are here to stay. And I think all that's happened is we have been shoved into this by an event. As Sawyer notes, not all of these changes will be for the best. There are times when the often intangible benefits of the in-person connection will be lost to the detriment of all concerned and perhaps to the detriment of justice itself. And there will be challenges, particularly for 
self-represented litigants and those with far fewer resources than Sawyer's clients generally enjoy, litigants who don't have access to reliable Wi-Fi or can't afford the surcharges of a court call system. Even solo practitioners or those practicing in remote rural settings will face some of these same issues, perhaps others. But there will also be benefits. Less travel means less cost for the client, less time away from loved ones and other business. Conducting mediations online may mean that at least sometimes attorneys can use that inevitable mid-mediation downtime more productively and pass those cost savings on to the client. And there are also so many opportunities. I mean, I'm sure that right now, maybe before now, someone is designing a video conference platform with tools and features optimized to the demands of a deposition or, or the demands of a jury trial. Adapting to what may be a long period of sustained or recurring restrictions on in-person contact may spur widespread investments in upgrading technology and improving access to our court system. And perhaps as the legal system increasingly moves online, we'll start to see a growing acceptance of the notion that access to the internet really is a fundamental right essential to full citizenship. A law professor can dream, can't she? Please look for future episodes of Practice in Place on the Arizona Law website at law.arizona.edu, on Anchor, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, and please like our new Facebook page, just search for Practice in Place. Uh, we'll share additional supplemental content related to each new episode on that page. We hope to continue providing a window into how the COVID-19 crisis has impacted our courts and the practice of law, and also to sharing our insights into what the response to the crisis tells us about the past, present, and future of our courts and of the legal profession. Thank you for listening.